Uh, it is Thursday. I'm joined in studio by uh, Tim Lundy. Thank you so much for joining us. I just Hi. almost thought I mispronounced your surname. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got it perfectly right. How are you doing? I'm very well on yourself. I'm good, thanks. Um, good. So it's my first time in studio with uh, with, with you. Yeah. But essentially, we are uh, talking about outdoors and hiking. Um, last week on, on the show, Koketa was in. Quickly, yeah. uh, let's uh, recap what you guys discussed last So basically, week. Yeah, last week, we, we went over... Oh, you wrecking my brain now. I can't remember what we spoke about. <laughs> it's just seven days ago. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, normally what I do is do the recap um, on on the rescue, on the rescue side of things, because I'm I'm part of Mountain Search and Rescue. Mm. So the week before, there was five rescues um, that had occurred in in seven days, and this week, thankfully, there was only one rescue, um, but it was quite a serious rescue. They had to actually stay the night on the mountain. There was a girl that had actually broken her ankle in quite a precarious place, so she had to be airlifted out. And because of that, they um, they had to stay over overnight in three, four degrees Celsius sure. on the mountain. But um, got her off safely, got everyone off safely. But yeah, it was a long, long rescue. And and how big is that rescue crew? The rescue crew can yeah can be anything from five people all the way up to hundred or so people depending on what what needs to happen mm. so in this particular one I think there was probably about 20 people but the the initial team that went up was just a, a handful of people mm. and th- it was decided that it was best to to get everyone off um, safely um, because she obviously wasn't there on her own she was with with other people so the teams actually got her down got got the rest of the people down during the night and then someone stayed with her somebody stayed with her they were uh, I, I can't remember how many people stayed with her but they, they stayed with her kept her comfortable and monitored her and made, made sure that everything was all right until the helicopter came the next morning and, and what time did the helicopter come that was probably around about nine o'clock or so the next morning mm. so the call came in probably six o'clock that evening on, on Sunday evening and and usually when 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 people do find themselves in situations like that, um, are, are they anxious? Are they chilled? Obviously, this case that we're speaking about now, the, the the lady had to stay over the night. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, generally when people do phone, they do panic because it, the mountain becomes a very very big place, mm. um, especially when you when you can't walk three four steps, it becomes quite scary. So, generally, people do get very very panicky and and. But yeah, you know, that's part of our job is to go out to Wasa, to go out and and reassure them and and make sure that they get off the mountain safely. Mm. But tonight, though, we are uh, talking about mountain vegetation. Yeah. So in particular, feinbos, mm. which um, when when you look at the word feinbos, it's actually Dutch, which means fine bush. Um, and fine bush, when when you look at feinbos on on the mountains, a lot of the plants um, or species have very very small leaves so they they don't have huge um surface areas and it's a quite a quite a clever technique over the millennia that the plants have actually developed that um even with the drought that we've had those plants can actually survive just with cloud cover coming in because you get mist and in that mist is moisture which will then collect on that plant so they have almost like a, a trapping mechanism for for moisture and they actually take a lot of that water in through their branches or through their leaves. 
So that's that's the the sort of the importance for for us in the Western Cape to have fanbores. Yeah, so fanbores basically will stretch from all the way up from the Cedarburg all the way through to PE, and is around about 100 to 200 kilometers wide. So it's a very in the bigger picture of of, of the world, it's a very very small area. Um, the amazing thing though is that the the amount of species that we've got here is massive compared to the rest of the world. Um, the largest one is the whole of the Northern Hemisphere. Um, so if you, you look at the whole of the Northern Hemisphere, they don't even have nearly as many species as we do just in the Western Cape. Mm. And and uh, you mentioned uh, the, the the drought that we're having. Um, I imagine fires are extremely bad for, for fanbores. Um, yes and no. Fires are bad when there are too many of them. And at the moment, there are just too many of them. So fire, the, the, the experts reckon that fire is not such a bad idea for the fan boss every 10 to 15 or 15 to 20 years. Um, but at the moment, we're having it every sort of 5 to 10 years. And the problem with that is that the plants don't get to maturity. So they can't then reproduce the seed that needs to bring on the next generation. So in places, there are areas that are actually losing um, species in areas because they just they've just not been given a chance to actually reproduce because the fires are coming through and wiping out the little saplings that are, are still getting to maturity mm. and and when is the best time to actually go see and view fine balls so that's the amazing thing every day of the year <laughs> <laughs> every day of the year i mean i always tell people when we when we go hiking i said the the one thing that you'll never be disappointed about is going out any time of the year and not seeing any flowers you will always, always see something flowering. Um, obviously, springtime is, is the best time mm. for the, the most amount of plants flowering. But if you had to go out right now um, on the weekend, you would definitely see something flowering at the moment. Mm. And and you get good f- uh, boss and bad boss. I read somewhere. Yes, so good fan. Look, all of it is pretty much good fanboss. Um, what I say is is bad fanboss, which isn't really bad, is is plants that are not such. Um, they're not very good for humans. <laughs> so the the one that comes to mind is a plant called the blister bush. Mm. Well, and you can imagine why it's not <laughs> why it's why it's not good for us because it can actually give quite nasty blisters, which it has given me. Um, but there's got to be certain conditions that that plant's got to be under, um, and you've got to be under to to actually have it do the reaction to give you the blisters. Mm. So when you when you walk past, I always warn people when when I see a blister bush, I just tell them please just don't touch it, um, because if you get one person that will that touches it, it activates the leaf which then releases a tiny bit of sap and when the next person comes past and actually rubs off on that they're not going to know that the first person activated it there's no sort of signs whatsoever and you'll finish up on the mountain you'll go home and the next day you're fine there's nothing wrong two days later you will wake up and you will have the most horrendous blisters really painful watery blisters and you will not be able to figure out where you where they came from and how you got them and then how do you treat that um well you just you've just got to with blisters you've just got to let them run their course uh, you you can't the worst thing that you can do um is, is pop them mm. um mine unfortunately burst itself 
<laughs> and in at about three o'clock in the morning, it was quite a rude awakening because, of course, you've now got all the nerve endings. So, so it's very painful. So, do the blisters just um, they, they amalgamate into each other? And it's it's all over your body, or is it just the sort just, of just the area that area. affected? Yeah. So, if you do rub past one, one of the things that you can do is actually just get a, a cloth or something and try and rub your skin, or you can cover up um, because this is one of the other amazing things about this plant is that. If it's overcast, you won't be affected. So it's reactive to light. Mm. So if it's a nice sunny day and you rub past one of these things and you happen to be the second or third or fourth person to rub past it, uh, you will get affected if your arm or your leg is exposed to the sunlight. Mm. That will then cause the reaction. But it's not like you're going to feel anything. You're not, nothing happens for two days. But when it does happen, you're going to know all about it. And this obviously only happens if, if, if the plant touches your skin. Correct. So the, the, the proper attire would... Long pants, yes. Long pants. Yeah. And, and what else if I'm venturing into So if into you're venturing, mountains? especially this time of the year, um, yeah, T-shirt and shorts are definitely out. <laughs> <laughs> people do that. I've seen many, seen many people with, with gym shorts. I, on, on Sunday, I walked past two people that were, looked <laughs> like they were going to the beach <laughs> and on top of the back table. <laughs> and 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 let's talk about um, um sort of other what do you call it treatments you can use uh, for for bushes like these. Or is there anything on the market I can I can take before I venture in? Because like you said, you won't know that you activated. Um, yeah, look, I mean, with with the blister bush, as I say, the, the if you know that you've actually rubbed past it, best thing to do is just cover it up as quickly as possible. Um, you don't necessarily have to, to treat it in any way. You just have to keep it away from light. Mm. Um, but for the majority of Fanbos, there are so many healing properties and things that we still don't even know that a lot of the Fanbos can actually provide human beings. Um, they're still discovering all sorts of um, medicinal purposes that, that Fanbos has. One of the good Fanbos um, plants that I really love is um, a plant called Colonema which a lot of people know is buchu. Now, you know, um, I don't know if you've heard of buchu brandy or buchu water. It's, um, it's a fantastic plant. The oil within the plant is, is very good for your skin. Um, and it's got all sorts of purposes from aftershave to um, perfumes, um, uh, sweets, chocolates, flavorant. Um, so when I when I go past it, I always tell people just grab a branch, rub it in your fingers, and mm. then then you smell your hand. And it, it half an hour later, you'll you'll smell your hand, and you'll still have that same same scent. It's a it's a fantastic plant. Mm. If you just tuned in, it's about eighteen minutes to uh, ten o'clock. This is Cape Talk. Uh, I, I'm Ronaldo Schwab. I'm Info Coquetos of China. I'm keeping you company until uh, eleven o'clock. Feel free to join the conversation that we are having. O two one four four six O five six seven. I am joined in studio by Tim Lundy. We are talking uh, all things outdoor, so, uh, taking a special focus on on mountain vegetation. Um, if you want to send us a voice note uh, or a text message on the Cape Talk WhatsApp line, you can do that. O seven two five six seven one five six seven. That's the number to send your voice notes and your text messages to. You're with Cape Talk, your number one news and talk station. Um, let's move on and let's talk about um, alien vegetation. Um, and we've read about that the fact that it's very bad, uh, not just for the Western Cape, uh, but but throughout the board. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the, the alien vegetation um, 
the majority of alien vegetation that people know of are things like blue gum. Um, Roy Krantz is a is a very popular one. Um, Port Jackson as well is is very very bad. So years ago, decades ago, it was brought into the Cape, um, especially for the Cape Flats, to try and stop the shift of sand, um, because as we know, in the southeast it blows that sand. Mm. shifts and it's really not pleasant so somebody came up with a genius idea of bringing these plants in and planting them to try and stabilize the sand Um, unfortunately it worked too well and the problem now is that Port Jackson, Roy Krantz, Bluegum, Wattle have all spread um, throughout the Western Cape so there are groups at the moment that are trying desperately to try and actually cut this back and get the fan boss to come back again because a lot of the, the alien vegetation doesn't play fair. Mm. Um, to give you an example, um, blue gums, um, the leaves are very, very acidic. So they've got a, when you throw a blue gum leaf into the water, you'll see how much oil comes off that leaf, the eucalyptus oil that you get. Um, and if you ever taste the water where, where there are blue gums, you'll, you'll taste it, it tastes terrible. So that, that oil gets into the soil and it actually, I always say it, it kind of almost poisons the soil. It, it doesn't play fair because it, it stops anything else from growing. So whenever you go into a blue gum plantation area, um, you'll see there's virtually nothing growing on the ground. There'll just be lots and lots of leaves and lots of blue gum branches. And, so, and how would one get rid of that? Or, or? So there, there are um, local government and, and NGOs are basically um, trying desperately to try and clear it. Because a, a fully-fledged bluegum tree can suck up to 150 litres of water every day. And if you start looking at how many bluegum trees are around <laughs> Cape Town, you start understanding how much water mm. is being sucked up by just these trees every day. So, mm. yeah, you've got um, Roy Kranz, um as well as also. It, it creates a carpet as well as pine trees. They create a carpet. Now, I know there are a lot of people out there that love pine forests. So they're big on their pine forests because they want to walk their dog. <laughs> it um, looks pretty. It looks pretty. <laughs> and yes, it does. But those pine trees were not planted there for our pleasure. They were planted there for a purpose, and that was to make cardboard and tables and beams and, and all sorts of things. Um, a lot of people get very very up to it's one of those subjects where people get very i mean the takai forest had to obviously be cut down mm. um because it was a money-making venture and of course with the fires they have to cut those trees down very quickly otherwise they can't use the wood which means that the investment is gone mm. so while it is lovely to walk in a pine forest and it is pine forests do have a purpose for for pleasure there are now they they do provide shade and everything like that, but there are other alternatives. And of course, a lot of people are going up. But the alternatives take far too long. Mm. That's just the reality of it. So, so pine trees and and blue gum trees bad. Fine balls, good, good. good. Yes. So essentially taking better care of, of fan balls means we'll have a better ecosystem. How can, how can we take better care of the fan balls? So if you are hiking, one of the things that you can do, I've got a, like a, a fold-up saw. That if I do see any pine saplings or Roy Krantz or um, anything that is particularly alien that shouldn't be there, I'd, I will then just cut it down or, or pull it out if, if it is. 
it, often they are very difficult to actually pull out of the ground because they, their root system is already embedded. And I'm talking about a plant that's only sort of four foot high. Mm. So they've got very, very strong root systems and, and very thirsty root systems. So what ends up happening is that the, the fan boss disappears from that area, which is exactly what happened to Takai Forest. That fan boss used to be there. The pine trees came in and the fan boss not so much disappeared, but it wasn't there anymore. Um, I haven't been up into Takai Forest since the fires, but I can guarantee you now there is already, the fan boss is already starting to come back because the seed was always lying dormant in the ground, waiting for sunlight. And of course, with a pine forest, you're just not going to get that sunlight coming through. Mm. I quickly want to go back for someone who, who just tuned in. We are talking, um, uh, I'm joined in the studio by Tim Lindy. We're talking all things outdoor, uh, taking a special look at mountain vegetation, uh, talking about fainbos. Um, for someone who doesn't know, what does fainbos look like? Oh, it comes in all sorts of shapes and forms. But generally, fainbos, um, for the majority of it, is sort of anywhere between ankle high up to, to knee high. Um, it, it, it's not most of it is not sort of shoulder height. So you've got your restios, which are sort of your grasses. Um, you've got your ericas. I mean, Cape Town alone has got over 400 different varieties of, of erica, um, which is more than the whole of Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just Table Mountain. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, the species, there's, there's over 9,000 different species of fanbos within the Western Cape of which 6,200 of that will only grow in the Western Cape. It will not grow anywhere else in the world. So trying to protect it is very important. Pine trees, they grow anywhere, mm. and they grow quickly. So what can uh, the everyday Cape Townian do to make sure they're not damaging or they're essentially protecting fine balls? Or that, what shouldn't they do? Yeah, they shouldn't be... Um, shouldn't be sort of encouraging alien vegetation um so if you've got blue gum trees and stuff like that that are in your property um that that have started growing i know that some of them are really really large um and it, and it can be very expensive to try and cut these things down but if you've got new saplings rather just take them out mm. and and try and encourage new fanbos because it's not just the plants that you that you're helping it's everything that goes with those plants. So it's the bees, it's the, the bugs that go with it. Um, it's a whole ecosystem that returns to an area. Cecilia Forest is a classic example. Sandparks were adamant that they were going to get rid of the, the pine trees. And when you go into that area now, it's a very, very different area. It's completely full of life. Mm. Before, you didn't have nearly as many butterflies and, and bees and, yeah, the whole sort of ecosystem that goes with, with fanboards. Mm. If you just tuned in, it's about 10 minutes to uh, 10 o'clock. Uh, we are taking a few calls. If you have any questions uh, for Tim, feel free to get those through 021-446-0567. We have Melody on the line from Musenberg. Good evening, Melody. Hi, good evening, uh, Ronaldo. Um, uh, just a question to Tim. You know, yeah. people either love trees or they don't. Um, there seems to be just two schools of thought about it. My thought on that is what happens when there's no trees left when people cut them down for various reasons the big story is of course that the blue gum drink a lot of water well you know i don't notice any trees in the desert so what i'm saying is 
trees are necessary for water. If we don't have trees, we're not going to get the rain. And if we don't have the rain, we're not going to have the water. So how do we work the system out that we're going to get enough trees growing that everybody likes and that's then going to produce the water that we're going to drink? Because if there's no trees in the desert, it means that there's no water. So that means that trees bring water. That's as far as I understand it. Okay. Well, the good news is we, um, we're not going to end up being in a desert. Um, I understand what you're saying, but um, there is feinbos that are trees as well. So, the, the What feinbos is trees? Oh, there's loads. There's, there's loads. of if you, if you go into a silver mine, you'll see lots of, of, of feinbos that are trees. Um, and is that sufficient to bring the rain? I mean, it is definitely trees that bring rain, isn't it? I mean, where their forest is rainforest. That's what they call them. They call them the rainforest because trees bring rain, as far as I understand. And you do have Afro-Maintain forests, um, Montane forests, sorry, um, that are all over. Um, when you go into the mountains, you will, you will find, when you know where to look for them, you, you will find them. Um, milkwood trees are, are part of the Fainbos. But nobody's planting trees. They're taking trees out and nobody's planting them. It absolutely freaks me out when I see them cutting trees down because that's the end of it. Then there's just this vast expanse of nothingness because people seem to get an idea in their heads. They talk one talk. They say, blue guns, drink water, cut them down. And that's the end of the story. They don't say, let's plant other trees. They don't reforest anywhere. Yellowwood, Yellowwood's another another fantastic tree. Melody, um, I'm going to thank you for your call um, and and allow uh, Tim to uh, to reply to that. Yeah, yeah. So look, there's loads of trees that are, are fanboss, um, and 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 they are being planted. Um, if you go out and you you walk around, I mean, the book that I've written, um, which is uh, Family Walks in Cape Town, a lot of the areas that you walk through, council have been planting yellowwoods, milkwoods. Um, and and they they have been replacing, yes they haven't been replacing, um, in one square kilometer every mm. every five meters another tree. <laughs> but then the reason that those were planted like that is because they were there was a purpose for them. So my point is is that those those areas and and, and Cape Town is going to get back to the way it was before human beings started messing with the ecology of the area. Mm. We have another question coming from Gideon in Guguletu. Hello, sir. Hey. Hi, I, I just interested on that story. Of, no, no, it's just a small plant. It just grow like a, a, what you call a mushroom. I grow up in Eastern Cape, but I never saw that uh, a small plant here in Cape Town. It's a boho. Oh, uh, I, do not, I do not understand exactly what you mean. A boho or buho? Buho. Buho, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure whether it is all the way up in the Eastern Cape. Um, there might be different um, species of it up in the Western Cape. No, no. But in Kosa, I used to call it the way you describe it. Unkamo Wensayen. Because it's a little, it don't grow up more than a. 500 millimeter millimeters don't grow up much it's a small plant does grow anywhere it's a boho yeah boho plant. The, it the, smells very funny yeah <laughs> they, they might we, they might be up in the cap where do we look for a mushroom we used to mix it with a mushroom okay but our father used to say no that is the wrong one 
Okay. We used to call it come and say, and that is the way that gentleman is described that uh, small plan. It, it, it sounds like exam, exactly what I say. Yeah, look, I mean, there, there is a, a, a very good chance that there could be Bukhu up there. I mean, I'm I'm not familiar with, with the Eastern Cape as, or as much as the, as the Western Cape. Um but there's a very good chance that there, there could be Bukhu up there in a, in a particular species. Um, up the west coast, um, to give you an example, there was a, a plant um, on a mountain um, range, a very, very small mountain range, probably about three, four kilometers long. And on a particular farm, this chap had Bukhu growing on his farm, mm. completely natural. They then discovered that the Bukhu that was growing on his farm doesn't grow anywhere else in the world. It literally grows on that mountain range. And as a result, every couple of years, they go and they prune the buchu. Um And, yeah, he pretty much paid his farm off in about one year <laughs> <laughs> because it is so sought after because it is, mm. the, it's quite a, a special particular type of buchu that they use for whatever they use it for. But, so it's it's quite a, a special a plant that they harvest. Mm. Thanks for your call, Gideon. Uh, before uh, I say goodbye, let's quickly talk about uh, the Cape Talk Dad's Walk, which is happening um, at the Fishick Beach yes. in the wetland. Yes, I had, um, we, um, Coquettes and I spoke about this last week, and it's, um, it's going to be a great walk. Um, it's in, in my book, and basically we're going to catch a train out to Fishook. Um, the, the, the train that I want to get to to uh, Fishhook Station is is arriving at about nine forty three, I think it was, and it was leaving Cape Town um, an hour before that on Platform One. Mm. So if people want to catch the train through, they're more than welcome to jump onto that train, and um, we meet at the the entrance to the train station at ten o'clock. And we will then settle from the train station together and and walk towards the beach. That's the Fishhook train station. Yes. So we will then walk across to the beach and then walk across the beach and up to the wetland. Um, and somebody last week phoned in and saying that she was terribly upset because the wetland was not what it used to be. And I had a friend of mine who wanted to go and see for himself last weekend. So he went out and he said, it's, it's flowing and it's, it's looking fantastic. So mm. that's the, the good news. With all the rain that we've been having, it has, it has started flowing again. So if I'm sitting at home and I want to join, I just rock up at the at the Fisher train station at ten. Ten o'clock, yeah. Cool. Um, and then there's a train leaving at uh, thirteen minutes to nine o'clock from platform one. That mm. one going from the Cape Town train station. Yes, I do. Cool. It's it's been great chatting to you for the last half an hour. It flew by. <laughs> it does. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming in and answering all the questions uh, that we had coming through. And uh, enjoy that that Cape Talk Dad's Walk happening. Yeah, it should be good fun. Cool. Thank Enjoy you us. so much. All right. Cheers.